Hi, I'm Marietta Del Vecchio and welcome to another episode of the Silver Bullet Podcast. This podcast is about lessons learned in running a business with a strong focus on startup founders and CEOs. We'll uncover what gaps these disruptors have identified in the market, what they're doing differently to their competitors, and of course, to find out their silver bullet for business success. On today's episode of the Silver Bullet Podcast, I'm chatting with Julia Tink, an absolute powerhouse of a woman who is the co-founder and director of sustainable and ethical coffee brand, St. Remio. During the podcast, we chat about the key to making a business partnership work when your co-founder is your husband, the ethical practices that make St. Remio different from other coffee brands, and what happened when Julia put everything on the line in a David and Goliath legal battle that threatened to shut her down. Julia, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about this chat. Um, Now, normally I start by getting my guests to give a bit of an outline of their business, but I feel like coffee is pretty self-explanatory. So maybe tell us a bit about your product. Where does it come from? Is it a consumer or commercial product? And where can people find it? Amazing. Well, you're right. Who doesn't love coffee? I know I do. As a working mother, coffee is the be-all and end-all. But we are very different in the sense that we are sustainable but we are also ethical coffee. And what that really means is not only are we sourcing Rainforest Alliance certified coffee, so again, you see the frog on the packaging so you know where the coffee is coming from, but then we also go that additional step further and we fund projects, specifically in Rwanda at the moment, to give back to coffee growers at Origin, empower them in business and lift them out of poverty. So we are really about accountability, traceability and sustainability, and we're The biggest and most important part of our business is really about connecting the consumer to the coffee grower for such a long time. And I did too before I started this business. When I would go to a cafe, I would judge coffee on literally three things. It was the barista, it was the brand, and it was my in-cup experience. And from that, those three things, I'd say, I like it, I don't like it, I only drink this brand, et cetera, et cetera. But coffee is so much more than that. It's about people and it's about making sure that we don't enjoy or don't take coffee for granted at the expense of the coffee grower. So when I say we're connecting people, it's that education piece where the consumer starts to understand the role that they are playing within coffee, their own personal role they're playing within coffee because they can either perpetuate the cycle of poverty or break it with a brand like us and in terms of our products we sell we do obviously wholesale and then we obviously do direct to consumer as well we currently have a range in Coles you can buy a a really big portfolio of of our products in all Harvey Normans and the good guys of course we sell online at serenyocoffee.com but we call ourselves an omni-channel brand so we're really here to be kind of agnostic and really be However you consume coffee in whatever format, be that office, be that at home, be that at the cafe, be that at the hotel, be that an online consumer, we want to be able to reach you and be able to supply, uh, give you a, not only a great coffee, a premium coffee, but a coffee that's going to pay it forward and give back to others. So you do pods and I, I'm an old school Italian percolator kind of gal. We so do, do it. Yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. We have the mocha pot, the French press. We've got whole beans, 500 grams, one kilo. We do capsules. One of our unique 
um, abilities in, in, at St. Remo is that we can do coffee captions for any system around the world. So we do K-Cups for America, Nespresso, Aldi, Expressi pods. We do everything. And the pods themselves, are they recyclable? So they're both recyclable and compostable. So we were one of the first, probably, yeah, definitely, I think, or the first to launch a real, because there's a lot of brainwashing out there, a real, yeah, a real industrial compostable capsule. And it was also biodegradable. So we had run independent tests as well to make sure that what we were selling was absolutely legitimate. It had all certifications from around the world. And then in an industrial composting facility, it would break down in 30 days. And that from the lid, the grounds to the actual capsule itself. So we actually, we have that and we uh, have invested into that technology. And of course, that space is continually evolving as well. So that technology will get better and better and better as it progresses. What led to you starting your own coffee brand? Because for listeners who don't know, Julia was an absolute legend and powerhouse of the PR world, in particular working closely with the VRC and the Melbourne Cup Carnival. Was it hard to leave all that? What made you jump? No, it really wasn't. So, look, I I loved PR and when I was from a young age, I knew, one, I wanted to run my own business, but B, I was like, PR is for me. So, like, in school holidays at 17 and 18 in school, I would, like, do internships at PR firms. I would volunteer and get as much as I could. I never had a holiday. I was working because I wanted to get ahead. I wanted to meet people. I was a hustler. And then I got into PR. Don't get me wrong. I loved it. And I'd like to think I was good. I was good at it. And thank you. You were. You were. (laughs) That's very nice. But honestly, the shoe kind of never really fit for me. It's like Cinderella. It just, it was never the right fit. And I knew it was never my a hundred percent true calling. And I knew that was never going to be my absolute long-term be all and end all. I had wanted to work with my husband for a really long time. So my husband used to run Lavazza Australia and he's so talented and he's just got this most amazing, he's charismatic. He's got a great knowledge of coffee. He just was so good. And I didn't want him just to work with someone for the rest of his life he was just too good for that. So it took me a, a long time to really convince him that starting a business with me was a great idea. And of course, taking his coffee knowledge and building it from there. But a perfect storm kind of happened. Uh, Lavazza sold back into becoming a global company. So he turned around at that time and found himself at a crossroads. And then that was the moment we said, you know what, let's let's do this, like enough stuffing around, let's get this done. And that's when we started And initially I was juggling both my PR business, my own PR business at the time, which was Tink PR and this, this business as well. And I was pregnant. I mean, kill me. That's three massive things (laughs) at once. Um, And then of course, having a young baby, but I was really just trying to build uh, St. Remio coffee up right before I could let this go. And then eventually it got to a point where I could do that. And of course, doing all those three things was just incredibly chaotic. And I was very happy to kind of finish up my PR business and just dive uh, all in to St. Remio Coffee, which is my passion. So can we say that a little bit about your husband's career background in coffee and your general Melbourneian love of coffee, you just brought it all together and you were like, this is it. This is my calling. Absolutely. It's just It's also because we are, like I said, an ethical coffee company and we're about empowering, the undercurrent of our brand is really empowering women 
And I love that. Like I just live for the fact that we are supporting others and raising them up. It is, it fills my cup. It fills my soul. It makes all the hardships of running a business because it's just not easy, makes it all worthwhile. So when I go and visit the projects that we fund, which I was just in Rwanda four weeks ago, and I see the impact that we're having there and how we're, these families can finally put food on their table, how they've gone from just being a farmer to running a business, they're providing for their families, they are giving to their children who are the next generation. That just, it is, it is the absolute motivation. I will fight for anything to ensure that we become the global brand that I want this St. Romeo to be so that we can give to others and we all win together. It is about winning together. And I just, it's unrelenting for me. I am so motivated by that. And for me, this just, like I said, when I started doing this, the shoe fit. I was like, this is me. This is 100% me. This is the legacy I want to leave behind. This is um, what I want to show my kids about how being kind and it's not about money per se. Happiness is not about how much, how many dollars are sitting in your bank. And I get that that money affords you opportunities and things like that. It's being a good person and living uh, a life where you raise others up. I have some questions about your uh, for your husband about why it took so long to convince him, but maybe that's another pod. But <laughs> um, where do you start? Like, did you start? Um, you know, do you go over there and find the coffee itself or how do you connect um, with teams internationally, especially when you're not, it, it's, it isn't here? That must be a challenging process. So how we started in terms of like funding projects overseas was that Trent is, um, is very well first in the, in the world of coffee and, and was responsible for building the Labatza Ramona Mio system here in Australia, which was very big. So that's the capsule system. He was invited and he would speak all over the world at coffee symposiums and talk about you know, the rise of coffee capsules and, how, and its consumption and, and, of course, the trends in coffee itself. And he found himself in Rwanda in 2015 at a coffee symposium talking to the female farmers and all also different, you know, coffee brands from all over the world because it's, it was an event that was put on by Bloomberg Philanthropies. And when he stood up and talked, he said, oh, okay, everyone stand up, you know, who's been growing coffee for 10 years, 20 years, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then everyone sat down and finally one lady was left standing and she'd been growing coffee for 50 years. But she didn't even know what coffee was and how it was consumed. And that was jarring for him because he obviously worked, yes, he'd worked for Lavazza for, you know, 10 years, a decade. And loved it. And then don't get me wrong, but it's obviously a wonderful global brand. But, you know, it celebrates the sexy side of coffee, like pretty much everyone else does in the world. It's all about the glamour. It's fashion. It's this, you know, it's the beautiful calendars. It's the, you know, that whole end experience. But what coffee really is, is about people and it's about the growers. And what we've done is we've absolutely lost sight of that and we've rolled them into the transactions because, of course, coffee is the second most traded commodity in the world. But we've rolled the people into them, we've rolled them into the transaction, like they're part of it. We've lost the human element of coffee and that was where he said, no, nah. okay, like I've kind of what I've, I've kind of got it wrong and now we need to change this. And he called me and we said, absolutely. We were working on what our brand was going to do, et cetera, et cetera. And then we said, yeah. This is what, you know, we're making this, this is what we're doing. We're about 
making sure that we can support these communities, that we give them a voice and that we are raising them up because how can someone not understand what they are growing and how it is consumed? Because if you don't understand, then you don't understand what it's worth and then you're getting screwed over when it comes to selling it. Absolutely. What what an eye-opening moment. That's that's incredible. Did he touch base with her on that day at the symposium? Uh, well, she obviously didn't speak any English, so he was getting it through translation. But he, right. he he was just like he couldn't kind of believe it. And then he, you know, went to the fields and met the women. And they, you know what? They are such wonderful people. Like they're just yeah. like they're like us, and they've got hopes and dreams and visions. They're no different to us. They might live in a different country, but you know, we all are driven and motivated by the same you know things, which are providing for our family, our own personal success, wanting to do better. But it's about the opportunity to allow them to do that. And so that was kind of, that's where we said, this is where this needs to be. This needs to change. And like I said, it's about humanising coffee and changing the way that consumers, retailers, uh, hospitality people, like I said to you, understand coffee, but really they have to understand the role that they also play in it because the brands that you choose are either going to screw, continue to screw the little guys over or... We're going to make a change and break the, cycle, the poverty cycle and make coffee sustainable for future generations to come. It's very important. What's the reception been like from customers who hear about your story? And, um, you know, I, fe- I feel like 2023 consumers are so much more alert and aware about sustainable practices. So it yes. must be quite refreshing for them. Absolutely. And I think too, like, I think lots of people don't really understand or have that education piece about where coffee's from and just how much effort goes into it. And when we kind of, what we do is we've obviously gone over there and we filmed, you know, that whole coffee experience and talking to the coffee growers and what it really takes. And when we play them, those videos, they just generally go, oh my God. And they're like this, you know, like, absolutely. How do we support? We want to be part of this. You know, we want to be part of the solution, not the problem. And then they start to understand and they're really believing in what St. Remio stands for. And it's, to be clear, we don't work with a charity or anyone in between. There's no one in between us. When I fund a project, I'm funding the, I'm funding the cooperative directly. So every, every dollar is going to them and then they say, and I also ask them. So again, because we're about empowering particularly women in business, it's about saying, what do you need? So a lot of companies have a willingness, including charities, they have a willingness to do well. But what they do is they do, oh, well, we'll, you know what, we'll build you a well because that's easy for us to market to people and, you know, we're easy to, you know, create the donations, et cetera. But then that well ends up not doing anything or it, it's okay for it and then it breaks and they can't fix it or it costs more to fix it than, you know, what it was actually worth. We don't play by that. We subscribe to, well, you tell, you live this every day what do you need to progress? And they tell us, we need more land. We want more trees. We need more fertilizers or manure to, you know, make sure we're looking after the land. We need a washing station or whatever it is that they need. They tell us and we say, okay, and we fund that project directly for them. And it was amazing. When we were over there, we started speaking to this young, this young man who would have been in his you know, early 20s, and he was just having a conversation with Trent. He spoke English. He said to Trent, which I thought was really amazing because he'd never really kind of looked at it like this. He goes, hang on, 
So you're telling me, because his father was a, a coffee grower, he said, you're telling me that you give money and, and support the development of Kokaji, and that's the cooperative that we support, but you are asking for nothing in return. And he's like, just looked, kind of thought about it, he goes, that is exactly what it is. It is giving without expectation. And it's amazing. So, and he just was like, like, who does that? I'm like, well, we do, because you deserve to, as a community, you deserve to thrive. You deserve opportunity. You deserve to grow. And we, if we love coffee like we do, and like in Australia, I think every uh, three out of four people drink coffee at least one a day. I mean, it's enormous. And I think there's 2.25 billion cups of coffee consumed a day globally. If we love coffee that much, we need to respect the process. We need to respect the grower and we need to invest in them and make sure that it's a viable career for them as well. And they can fund their families because if they're living below the, po the poverty line or it's costing them more than what they can able to sell it for and they can't put food on the table, then what they do and what they have been doing is they abandon. They say, well, I can't do this anymore. So they grow other things and, you know, and they're growing other crops, etc. But again, you've got that shortfall of coffee growers and 80% of the world's coffee growers grow uh, a small, uh, small plot farm holders. So they might have something that's less than 100 square metres, but that's 80% of the world's coffee is coming from that. So again, it's that consumer connection, making sure that you understand the process of coffee, how difficult it is, hand-picked, grown on really steep, like in Rwanda, they're almost like cliff faces. It's, I can hardly stand you know, and if I fell, to be honest, I'd die. That sounds terrifying. It's pretty hectic. Like when you when you see it for what it is, it's pretty confronting. Mm. So with those conditions to be a farmer there, you, of course you want the incentive and you want the people providing your coffee to have the incentive to not, not just do a good job but to eat, just continue in the job. I want them to continue, but I want them to be able to succeed and I want them mm. to be able to invest in their families and their education and get the access to basic human rights, healthcare, schooling, food, all the things that, like I said, we want for ourselves. We can't have coffee at the expense of others. Agreed. So tell me a little bit about, from a consumer perspective, coffee is a very crowded FMCG space. Yes, there's a lot of competition in there. How has that impacted your launch and what did you do to sort of set yourself apart? So really it's what we stand for that sets us apart. Like, because like I said, we're an ethical coffee company and like, even when you look at our packaging, certainly from what we call our away from home beans, which are our cafe uh, beans that we set, and we have them in society. If you're a Melbourne listener, we do society um, and all these beautiful restaurants but what's on the bag is a is an illustrated version of a of a female coffee grower from Rwanda and she's holding the cup so even from our packaging from a visual it's very different to what you're going to see and I've done that on purpose because it's meant to be thought-provoking so when it comes to setting ourselves apart I'm not I'm not talking about coffee in the sexy side of things because the reality is different I'm talking about real coffee real people real people's lives and saying, let's get, let's get back to the source and let's be really true and authentic about what this is and I'm about showing you the real. So I, like I said, it's taking you on that journey too. 
So it's yes, heart, it is a heart. heart and story, right? It's heart and story and it's authenticity. So like I've built, we built this brand based on that. And like even on my own, my socials or LinkedIn, I'm very, I'm happy to share the good and the bad of running a business because that's the reality of what this is. And I want to take people on a journey with it because with every business, it's just not an overnight success. You just don't click your fingers and you're like, wow, look at me. You know, there's a lot of sacrifice. There's a lot of heartache. There are a lot of sleepless nights, you know, and there are a lot of times that you're looking around thinking, shit, like what am I, you know, how do I get out of this? And you've got to find, you've got to find it within yourself to fight your way out of those situations. You know, that's what running a business is every day. It's like getting to the boxing ring and are you going to land the winning punch that day or is someone going to give you a KO because tomorrow you've got to front up and do it again. And you've got to love it enough to keep wanting to do that. And I love this business. So it might be competitive, but I'm doing it for completely different reasons. We are an absolutely different brand and unique in, in what we're trying to do in the space of coffee and I'm really proud of what we've achieved today but I'm really excited about the future and what we are going to do for communities that I have not even met yet because mark my words it will be big. So did you come across any um, outlets or you know who were like well we've got enough coffee brands on our shelves or yeah we, we don't we already trusted you know we we use this brand in our cafe we don't really need to know about another one what what was it like busting in in that sense no absolutely and don't get wrong we, we still have that challenge and as I say the team here I'm like like let me be clear that movement and that sustainable th- way of thinking or being more socially conscious and aware some people are really on board with that. Others are followers. You know, they need other people to do it. And then they, t- and then they turn around and say, oh, actually, okay, well, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. But you need the pioneers. But when we sell our brand into it, whether that be restaurants or cafes, et cetera, I need them to and I want them to believe in what they are selling and their role in building a better future for others because we're going to have a much better relationship if you are really believing in what St. Reno actually is. So if someone turns around and says, no, whatever, I'm like, that's fine. You know, that's okay. You're not there yet, but I'm going to find the person who is because I want them to really be, not only believe it, but also be incredibly proud of it and really be happy to talk to their customers and educate their customers on what they are doing to, like I said, break the cycle of poverty and uplift others. Speaking of competition... A company mm. was not particularly happy with your launch and you got sued back in it 2019 did. in a in a David versus Goliath battle. Tell us about that. Who sued you and why and what happened? This business has not been easy. And so we've only been going for eight years and I think that we've had to go through challenges that I don't think many people would A, either survive or B, potentially would never even face kind of some of the things and adversities that, that we had. This was a big, this was a big one. So we got our first big break into Coles in 2018 and we were launching the first compatible, really the only, because there is no one else in the market, the only compatible capsule with the Aldi system. So Aldi Expressi, which is, I think this, which is probably the number one grocery system in Australia. So don't be fooled, that is an enormous, an enormous category that currently have no competition. Um, and that capsule was also unique. It's what we call it had a was dual capacity. So it could fit not only in the Aldi Expressing machine, but it also could fit into the Capitaline machine. They are two different proprietary systems, 
but one capsule can give coffee in both machines. It was a very unique technology, which we had a, a, a pattern on one aspect of it too. A lot of R&D had gone into it. Um, we did our due diligence before we launched. We knew it could be, it would be a particularly, not a controversial one, but we knew it would ruffle some feathers. We did. Um, but I think when you have your own business, there's an element of naivety in there too, which is good. Because if we all knew what was coming at us and someone said to you, okay, you're going to do X, this is what's going to happen to you along the way, people would be like, well, I'm not signing up for that. So we knew, it, like I said, we knew it was going to ruffle some feathers, but I guess what that really meant and the reality of that is two very different things. So I remember um, the lawyer, I got a phone call from my lawyer to uh, sorry in the evening on February the 12th which is my husband's birthday and we had all these family over and I looked at my phone and it was like eight o'clock and I was like oh why is she calling me I was like oh man oh, we're having birthday cake like we're having a great time I'm not answering that now but I'll listen to the voicemail and lo and behold it was like hi Juliet I'm really sorry um you're getting sued in the federal court you're being sued which is fine I'm the company owner and director so um to be expected the company's being sued expected and your husband's being sick personally and I literally hung up <laughs> it's like party's over you know and you literally have 48 hours to pick your legal team it is just an, an enormous amount of pressure and it goes on and on and on it was a very challenging part of certainly my life because what I said to my husband is that listen we both can't go down here Right? We can't go down as sinking ships. So I'm going to deal with this. You are the sales division of this business. So like I might drive the, I might be the steerer, but you are the engine. So you keep selling and just keep your head up. I'll tell you what you need to know, but I will deal with this. That is a, that is a lot of pressure for one individual hand. Yeah. Because if I, because if I stuffed that up, I was homeless. Like I rolled the dice on my entire life. That is intense. It's intense. And you go up and down like a roller coaster. Like sometimes you think things are going well and then all of a sudden it takes a turn and there's so much information. We were sued on three um, three counts of patent infringement. So, again, like I said, when you're dealing with capsules. To do with is, the capsule, right. Yes. It is um, – it's a it's an area that's obviously super litigious. So of course, when you when you break a patent on someone, so whoever obviously did the first Nespresso compatible capsule, of course Nestle is going to take them to court. Like it's their proprietary system. You know they own that market. It's a, what you call a razor blade model, where you buy the razor, but you can only buy their you know their shaver heads. It's the only thing that fits in. But all of a sudden, if there's a competition that fits into it, then their market share is obviously eroded. So of course they're going to fight for it. We were sued, yeah, by an absolute global giant and lots of people all like said to me, you should just quit and run. And I'm like, no, I've worked so hard. I'm doing this again for such a bigger purpose than, you know, myself individually or bigger than Trent and myself and I will not let someone tell me how my story is going to end or to try and scare me because I'm taking some market share from them or because I'm coming at them as, as the new competition in town. I will not let someone bully me. And everyone, like, I had a lot of people abandon me in that time, so I don't know if they thought, this is too hard, I can't handle it. Not that I was asking anyone to solve 
that problem because no one was going to solve that problem except for me and the lawyers and the universe. Um, but definitely it was, it was really challenging. Obviously my son was two at the time and there were times that I'd have to pick him up from, from daycare and take him to the law firm, write an affidavit, would be there till 10 o'clock at night and he'd be singing on the little lectern like nothing happened and it's hard. Like I had to pretend like everything was okay. So, and I had to as well for my staff. I had to be like, it's okay. Like, hey guys, how are you? You know, it's about which I am, you know, which I am proud of myself. I'm, I'm very good at, and I can never say this word, so I'm going to stuff it up. Decompartmentalizing, whatever it is. You know what? You get it? Like, can't say Com- that word. Compartmentalizing. Yes. Oh, so I can pick up a problem, put it down, and then kind of switch it off and then kind of almost switch my face and be like, hey, how are we going? And then when it, and then private, I can pick it back up again. Compartmentalizing is an absolute superpower. I was always good at it, but I became exceptional at it because I didn't want my staff to freak out and think, well, what does this mean? Am I, I going to lose my job? You know, I, I needed everyone's morale to keep going and, and stay up while I was in the trenches. So it took two years, took two years. Um, we never even got to mediation. And I remember like walking into the federal court in Sydney and I was just thinking, I still, I've got it to this day. I still remember writing to my mum, she's like, oh, you know, and I said, listen, I've got this. I, I, I know I'm going to win. And she's like, how can you, I said, no, no, no. But like, she's not entering my head. I have got this. And I stopped crying and I just, and I sat there for the, the five day trial. And when I, when I stood up on the stand, I was, you know, stoic. Again, when I think about it the day before, I'd cry. And then when I got up there, I was like, no, like, I can I can do this. I haven't done anything wrong. I did my research and, you know, I can I can do this. I'm not going to be pushed around by someone. Uh, I'm not going to be bullied by the big guys. Absolutely not. So they weren't even willing to mediate and the court ruled in your favour. I won on every count that I put forward. It was the most devastating loss for them ever. Good. And... I was so I was so incredibly proud of myself. Of course, I knew when I got the outcome that they would appeal, and they did. So back at it we went. But again, it was upheld, and I knew like if the biggest part was winning the first part because it was like I said, it was such a substantive loss for them. But what it taught me, and I and I'm not as much as that was really challenging. There was a few things that I learned. One, you never you never lead or make judgments based with emotion you have to separate it out and I had to too I had to be like you know because my husband at times would be like this sucks or blah 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 and this is unethical and I said I get it but if we go if we think that way there is no solution and we make really bad choices because it's just all emotion it needs to be you need to keep a really level head and you need to stay calm and you need to find the solution. If I can't have this, let's do this. Let's look at this. You need to really bring your legal team together. You need to unify them. So there was no point initially I was fighting back and forth with people and then someone said to me, no, nah, you can't do that. You've got to unify that team and you've got to make them, when they're doing extra hours in the office at night, you've got to make them want to fight for you. I said, okay, I got it. I can do that. I, I'm good at unifying teams in business, but I can I can take a step back and I can do that too. So I always kept a level head. I kept the emotion out of it. I kept calm and I just kept fighting and I just, I never, ever, 
I never gave up. And I don't begrudge what's happened to me. Like lots of people would be angry still. I'm not because if I want to be the global brand that I know we're going to be, this is not my first and my last. And the universe is saying to me, if you want to do this, Julia, you got to learn how to take it. That's a great perspective. Like here's a, here's a training ground for you. Yes. Yeah. You want to roll with the big boys, then you're going to have to take it. And I'm here to say I am. And, and I'm not, I am a very strong individual, but I'm no pushover. So like I am here, I know what I want to do. I know what I want to be. I know where I want to go. Nothing will stop me from getting there. Don't tell, I don't know the roadmap. I just know the goal. I hope everyone's listening. Don't mess with Julia. <laughs> she's got this. And are you allowed to name who they were? Yes, I was. Um, so we were sued by Cafitaly Global, and in Australia, um, uh, they have partnered with with Coca Cola Amatol. So that's the Goliath of all Goliaths, right? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. And I can imagine like a process like this would be. Um, you know, in a, despite best efforts, this would put pressure on your working relationship and your personal relationship because your co-founder is your husband. What what was that like, not just yes. through this process, but what, what's the whole process like working with your husband? Look, Trent and I have very different strengths and I think that's also why it works. Like if you are very similar to your partner and you're, you know, like you were both creatives or this and that, you at some point are just consistently going to fight. But Trent is amazing at relationships and sales and he's got that amazing coffee knowledge. I sit in the in in the other space, so I'm more a creative. So I'm creative, although I'm very organised. Um, so marketing, creative, but compliance, legal, that all kind of sits, HR, that all sits with me. But because we're different, that is what makes it work. You know, I don't try and tread on his toes. He doesn't try and tread on mine. We have to have that equal respect of each other's abilities. We approach business very different. Like it is yin and yang. We could not be more opposite. Trent is ultra, ultra conservative and I am the risk taker. I'm like, this just feels right. We're going to do it. He's like, you've got to be kidding me. And I'm like, nah, it's this. I see it. We're going to, you know, we've got this office. It's going to be this. And he's just like, are you, are you for real? But we need, but that balance is needed because sometimes I probably need to be push, pulled in and other times he needs to be pushed forward. Like it, that's, we need a bit of each other to make sure that this, that uh, this works. And that's the dynamic, that's the dynamic you need. So is working with your husband easy? Absolutely not. Work is all consuming and 24 seven, but we are both guided and both driven by the goal. And the goal is to help, to build coffee that helps others. And as long as we stay true to that, then we'll get there. And we remain open and honest with each other, then, we, then we'll get there. But obviously working for your husband, for anyone or your partner, you know, it's not for everyone. And it's, it can be, can be really challenging. And we got challenged really early on in starting our business in terms of our relationships. Because again, I think the universe really tests you. Hey guys, if you really want to do this, well, I'm going to put you in a pressure cooker and see how you go, and then you've got to make sure that you can handle it. Because, again, there are times like being sued where it's very, very intense. But like I said, we also know our strengths and weaknesses. So in those really hard times, like I said, I dealt with 
I dealt with that with that huge issue and I kept him separate because I needed I needed him to really focus on just you know doing the sales and getting you know making sure that the money is still coming through the door because literally that court case was almost a full-time job it was just yeah and so I can much. imagine he must also have an incredible amount of trust and belief in you to be able to say hey I, I I'm happy to be kept in the dark for the most part, you know, you yes. fill me in, I'll be on a need to know basis. Yep. I trust that you'll loop me in when required. So yes. that's, that's says, you know, a million things about you, Julia, for him to be able to like, yep, I trust you. Yes. You got this. Yeah. Let me know when you need me. <laughs> and look, it, don't get me wrong. It was hard. There were things and decisions that I was making that I wasn't going to tell him either. Well, that I didn't tell him because because I didn't want his mind to get really worked up and whipped up and then he'd sit there in that space and I couldn't have that. I needed to keep him up and I needed the team up and I needed sales up and I just needed that momentum. I couldn't stop the momentum. So that is a that is very, very, it's a very difficult thing for a, a one individual to take on um, and that was really hard at times because, again, like I said, if, if I had stuffed up, I would have said to my son, pick up your toys and your clothes, that's all you've got. Where that's it, like it's over. That's so so brave of you. You've done a phenomenal job, and you're building such an incredible company. Thank you. Final question: What's your silver bullet for business success? If you can possibly narrow it down, (laughs) I can. Um, I think there's kind of three things for me. So one is unrelenting self belief. You have got to believe in yourself and what you're doing and never give up on it. Stay true to who you are and what you want to be as a brand or a company and just stick to the goal. You do not have to please everyone. You are not going to be a product for everyone. You just have to do, if you've set out to a goal, stick to it and back yourself in. And even when someone says a no to me, I take that as, you know what, I don't get upset that is just fuel to the fire. That's just making that I'm like, that's fine, but I will get you in time. It might not be today and it might not be tomorrow, but I will get you in time. I've always had that mentality. The other one is to follow your gut instinct and your intuition. Listen to it. You know, you get a sinking feeling when something's going bad. You need to start to listen and trust it because it is guiding you and those that ignore it or push away make bad decisions. And the other one is, I think, is forward vision. You've got a really, and a risk taking. You can be calculated risk, but you've got to see the vision of where this is that you're going. Like when we took the, the new facility that we're in now, the new factory, again, when I was with my husband, he's like, absolute, like you are kidding. And I'm like, this, nope, we're gonna, it's going to have this. We're going to have a cafe at the front. It's this. And he goes, this is huge. I was like, no, I can see this. I know I can I clearly see where this business is going and we need this. Yes, we need to grow into it, but I'm seeing where this is going and developing. And lo and behold, that's exactly what is happening. So you've got to back, like I said, back yourself in, see the vision, go for it, listen to your gut instinct, hone in on that, really, really follow it and take the emotion out of decisions. And then you'll make a level head, makes level decisions and gets results. And there's always a lesson in something bad for you. Something that happens to you, there's always something that you need to learn. There's a message in there, a lesson, a learning. You need to open your mind and your heart up, find it, take it in and move forward. 
What's that saying? Things don't happen to you, they happen for you. Absolutely. And sometimes, and for us, certainly in this business, our biggest blessings have absolutely come dressed up as a total shitstorm. Like just, they are so bad. And at the time they just, they are horrible. But in there has always been a diamond. Something amazing has come from it. So every time something happens to me, and the other thing too is now that I've gone through quite I'm like this, you know what? I, I can take it. Like, because for me, nothing was as bad as that. I'm like this, what? That? Oh, that's all you got? That's fine. No worries. But there's always, I said, they can sometimes the biggest blessings come as dressed up as something ugly and there's not something ugly at all. It's actually something that's going to propel you forward. That's amazing. You're so inspirational, Julia, <laughs> and I have no doubt that our listeners are going to hear this pod and just think, oh my God, I need to go out and start a business because I, <laughs> you're certainly giving me a bit of the bug. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, no, thank you. It's a real honour. So I'm really grateful for having for your time and for being able to share my story. Thank you. Now go make some amazing coffee. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. <laughs>